Hello, newsies. Welcome to Know Your News. Get the flick out of here. Uh, I am uh, Alex Pulaski. With me, as always, is Kate. Um, Kate, so um, every so often, uh, I think we uh, forget that the the point of this wasn't just to review bad movies. But that's so fun. But no, it is fun. And I'm not saying we should entirely scrap reviewing bad movies um, at all. I think it should still be the bread and butter of this particular uh, thing. But eventually, uh, listen, it's a week in which I uh, had to watch Dominic Mysterio win a title. No, I so I needed, a, I needed to pick me up. I couldn't, I couldn't watch another abomination this week. I had to watch, we had to watch something good. Um, uh, so, um, uh, <laughs> from Mr. Nanny last week, American to classic who, to who framed Roger Rabbit this week, um, and I, I have a very, uh, there's a very special place in my heart uh, for this movie, um, and uh, f- f- for some embarrassing reasons. But like, it's a, it's um, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. This movie, the. It came out in 1988. It was in the theaters uh, in 1988. So the 25th anniversary was just a few weeks ago. Um, wait, 35th. Well, 35th, 35th anniversary. Correct. Just, we're old. Uh, yes, we're very old. Yep. Yeah. 35. Yeah. The, the checks out. Very old. Um, uh, but um, so I was eight. Not yet nine. And uh, loved watching cartoons, as most eight-year-olds did at the time. I don't know what eight-year-olds do now. I got a six-year-old. Um, but um, I, so when this m- movie was being promoted, um, it was uh, released not by Disney, though it was produced by Disney's parent company. This was released under the Touchstone Pictures thing, but all the the trailer had Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, and all these other you know th- these major things, and it was kind of this this amazing feat to like see. Still is considering it's never been it's done crazy. since. Crazy to see Disney animated characters and Warner Brothers animated characters together on screen um, was was a thing that that you know everyone was very excited about who was into um to the cartoons all those kids so my dad took me to see it in the theaters um i think the whole family might have gone which means my like five-year-old brother went you know um and there was there were not like the ubiquitous nature of of online trailers at this time there was right. no online so like if you saw a, if you saw a preview for it in a movie that you went to see, that would be the only time you saw that preview for it, unless there was like a 30 second clip that was on television. You wouldn't see it. So we didn't have like, we couldn't like go back and watch the trailer and go, I don't know, this scene might be a little too scary for our five-year-old. Let's not bring to that. Or this whole deal might be a little too risque for our not yet nine-year-old who doesn't understand the feelings this is going to give him. Um, we they, people went into this movie blind, they including sure did. my parents and me. Um, 
So, uh, so I, I, I guess what I'm saying, the, 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 the way I can best describe it is I had my first uh, sexual awakening to uh, an animated lady. Um, I mean, she's still hot. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I mean, she uh... is, but I mean, she, she is. And, and I didn't, and, and, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't quite understand uh, what, what was happening to me at the time. Um, I don't think you're alone in that. I'll just yeah, say no, that. no, no, no. I think, I think that uh, there were, there were, there was a giant swath of, of uh, boys and girls, I believe, who were having their first sexual awakening to Jessica Rabbit. Um, I don't know if that was necessarily the the producer's intent, because uh, a lot of guys, uh, 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 producers, executives at Disney were like, "Can we tone down the boobs like by like fifteen percent?" Um, because this is for kids. And Robert Zemeckis fought and said, "The boobs stay," and they were like, awesome. "Okay." He's got final cut. What, what can we do about it? What are you going to say? I will say it doesn't feel it doesn't feel superfluous in any way because it's no. like um, it's an important part of who she is because of the role that she plays in the movie and yeah. in the archetype of building out a murder mystery where spoiler mm-hmm. alert, she is, oh. she is a suspect initially yep. here. Uh, you have to have that uh va va voomness about her to make it if she was just like a a good gal you kind of mm-hmm. like wouldn't if she was just the girl next door looking gal right. it wouldn't have the same uh effect especially with like this movie's insane like when you look at what they pulled off and how flawlessly they pulled it off it it i had such an appreciation going back and watching it because it's uh it accomplishes so much and it's one of those things on the rare occasion we do a good one alex on the show mm-hmm. it's usually a feat of every aspect of it had to be pitch perfect or the movie doesn't work and this is mm-hmm. that like the yep. entire script the entire production yep. all of the acting performances like all of it had to be pitch perfect and like her mm-hmm. her being this like sexualized lounge singery kind of whatever plays a, a really 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 big part in it so it, it didn't feel like haha we made a hot girl for the sake of made it, making a hot girl that's animated it felt like to fulfill this archetype in an animated way if we if you had an actor she would have had enormous breasts and a very tiny waist and a very mm-hmm. sexy dress on um if yeah. it was a real life actress so it, it doesn't feel yes. like it was done just for the sake of well, being like haha heart a hot cartoon yeah the well the 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 tightrope act of it as well is that it is a it's a parody of several things without being a parody of it um because the this there's uh in every detective movie set in the 1940s there's the private eye is in his office and in walks her you know what i mean and so you have to have that scene in this movie it just the her is an animated uh, drawing with an impossibly small west uh, waist and impo- impossibly uh, large uh, breasts, um, I um, so the I wanted to talk a little bit about also when I say this movie never should have been made. Um, it uh, the they they bought the rights to the to a book called Who Censored Roger Rabbit. 
and then promptly had nothing to do with the book. There was there the the there's a private detective, but Roger Rabbit, the, all the characters in it are comic strip characters, and it's set in the present day when the book was written, not in the golden age of Hollywood. Uh, so I don't think it works because the the private eye thing is feels so like a mid century noir <laughs> thing. Yeah, it really doesn't feel like it fits there. Cops also instead of animated movies feels like also like going further back in time. So why do it at present day? Um, also, there was no judge doom character. They completely changed the whole plot of the movie um, of the, of the, the of movie from the book. Um, so uh, yeah, when they say loosely based, they mean not at all based, um, but uh, Disney bought the rights to it. Cause like, this is going to be perfect for us. And I'm like, how did you think that? What, how does, why, why was that a thing that you thought was going to be perfect? Um, also, um, so anyway, they were trying to figure out this thing was in development hell for years before it actually started getting made. Uh, so much so that Robert Zemeckis went for a guy they laughed out of the room to be the director for it because the two movies he had made up until that point had been bombed to holy crap, we got to get this guy. Um, and all that, all that took for that was back to the future. And all of a sudden it was like, well, now we got to do back to the future and romancing the stone. Uh, but back to the future was the one that like, really like set everybody's socks on fire with Robert Zemeckis. Um, and a quirky little concept in itself too. So if you're doing something this ambitious, having somebody that knocked one Mm -hmm. out of the park on something that was quirky like that, uh, quirky, not the right word, but like, yeah. Ambitious is a better um, word. <laughs> yeah. The, sure. the, um, but anyway, so in 82, um, they said no to Robert Zemeckis. Um, Spielberg was brought on to produce. He wouldn't direct. Um, they asked Terry Gilliam, who did like Brazil and Time Bandits, the, the former member of um, Monty Python. And he said no. And he says, he said later, it was just laziness. I knew it was going to be a lot of work and I didn't do it. I wanted to do all that work. And I regret it every day that I did not say yes to direct this movie. Um, so I that's, love that that's, he said that though. Like yeah, what a wonderful no, I was I was just being lazy. Because I was like, oh, I could see how we could do it, but that would take a lot of work. And I'd probably have to fight with the studio over and over again to get what I wanted. I don't want to do that. Nah, I'm not going to do this. So, I mean, that's just the way it works. And also... They went through, um, by the time they actually settled on um, Zemeckis to direct, then they were like, okay, now we got to cast this thing. Um, And they originally wanted Harrison Ford. Spielberg wanted Indiana Jones to play Eddie Valiant. Um, And he was too expensive because already the budget was going to, was going to, they settled on Okay, we can give you forty million dollars, which is like a hundred million dollars in today's budget, which would have been a, a, an astronomical uh, amount of money for a movie like this for 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 scale. Um, uh, Return of the Jedi cost thirty two million dollars to make in eighty three, so they wanted fifty million, uh, and then settled on forty million in eighty eight. So this movie was more expensive to make than a Star War, like that's. That's a very hard thing to sell a, a, um, a, a company on in that way. Especially because what's elaborate about it is 
not necessarily flashy. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. If I'm saying that right, like Star Wars, you're like, well, yeah, because they created a different galaxy. This is like we created three movies in one and it's incredible. And but it's not like um, it's not like, oh, well, it's because of the overwhelming special effects of it or like it's it's a spectacle in a a really, really grandiose way. It's in order to make this vehicle work properly. Like we need this budget because we need the best of everything that we're trying to present in it, which is Mm -hmm. actually boiling it down to a great deal of simplicity. Um, But yeah, I don't know. um, You're the, the ship steerer with us, but I'll just say like, if we go scene by scene, like we normally do, that's cool. But like, there's nothing that we can say to make you understand how, incredible of a feat this movie actually is without watching it like this is one you just like, gotta go watch you have, you can just you you can you describe a scene that that includes um animated characters and then you say how they did that and that's the only like then you you have to watch it and go oh my god you know um uh to actually appreciate it but it is it is kind of crazy the way that they blend um real props with animated characters um that's a really hard thing to to um to to imagine until you see it happening but um go watch it as an adult if the last time you watched this was when you were younger because there it's there's so many things to appreciate as an adult and i in my notes like one of the first things that i have written down was like i can't believe they add so many human beings as this goes on and at no point does it feel disrupted or unnatural. And that just like blows my mind that you're introducing more human elements as things go on. Like you're building out both of these worlds more complexly and it just like stays on track the entire time. Like there's no point where this doesn't feel completely endemic to itself. Um, It's really, really impressive that you add. Cause if, if you have, one guy who's interacting with the cartoon world and he's great. That's its own challenge. I feel like, um, but you're relying on one great actor's performance to be able to marry those worlds. This, you just kept adding in people. Um, and that's just, that just blew my mind about it. Watching it back. I was like, at no point did that get clumsy and that's insane. Yeah. Um, anyway, as I said, uh, um, Spielberg wanted Harrison Ford. He was too expensive. They went. They 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 tried to get Chevy Chase. That didn't work out. Uh, they wanted Bill Murray. Robert Zemeckis really wanted Bill Murray, but Bill Murray has this very idiosyncratic way of accepting offers that he was just trying out at the time, and now it's kind of now it's known in Hollywood, but at the point it wasn't. So he never returned anybody's phone call, and neither he would not let his manager do it until they had called a certain number of times or something. So he just he missed out on it. Bill Murray missed out on being <laughs> because it wasn't like he would have said no. They they never got a chance to talk to him. Um, uh, Eddie Murphy turned it down because he didn't he didn't get it. And later I he was see like, that being I, like a little off. I think it was like, I should have done that. But also, I cannot imagine this movie with Eddie Murphy as Eddie Valiant at I all. I can't either. Like, Chevy Chase, I could. Bill Murray, I definitely could. Right. But Eddie um, Murphy does feel like a, a little off base of one. Um, 
for me, um, I think um, this is uh, one of those um, uh, movies where, for me, truly, I cannot imagine anyone else playing the character of Eddie Valiant. Eddie Valiant is Bob Hoskins, is Eddie Valiant, is Bob Hoskins. So much so that when I found out he was British, I, I couldn't speak for like a couple of hours because it just, it blew my mind so much. Um, Eddie Valley, like the, the, the idea of a gone to seed, alcoholic, balding, short, you know, uh, soft around the middle, but you could tell he used to be a bruiser kind of guy. Um, that it, it's, it adds so much realism to a movie that is entirely fake. If that makes sense. Yes. So the idea that like, he, if he's striding along, like he's some kind of matinee idol, like, like, oh, they, they put a three day growth of stubble on Harrison Ford and you just forget that. No, 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 That guy's Han Solo. He's Indiana Jones. It won't work. Bill Murray, like he already had this in the career. Chevy Chase, all this kind of stuff. It just wouldn't have worked to me. Like, because you was, I, I associate Bob Hoskins with this, it feels more like I'm watching this this person as opposed to an actor playing him. Um, so I thought that was kind of crazy, but also the idea that you would you would entrust a movie like this kind of budget to a basically no name America in America actor to try and carry it with that kind of budget is crazy. You could open a movie like this just on Harrison Ford or Bill Murray or Chevy Chase or Eddie Murphy alone. You can't do that with Bob Hoskins. So that's also this kind of, when I say, I can't believe it got made that they settled on Bob Hoskins and, and it, and it worked perfectly to let alone like at worked at all is amazing. Um, they also to play the villain judge doom that they created out of whole cloth for this movie that was never seen in anything before actually didn't appear in many of the versions of the script. Um, they, uh, first tried Tim Curry, who was too scary. And then they tried John Cleese, who was not scary enough. Uh, and they finally settled on Christopher Lloyd because Robert Zemeckis had worked with him on back to the future. Um, and uh, we'll talk more about Chris Foley's performance when we get to some of those scenes. But um, I think it is kind of crazy that also what a what a hell of a run for Christopher Lloyd there with like Doc Brown, the addled, like crazy inventor guy. from, And then this who just again, like I'm I'm fairly sure that the spate of nightmares my little brother had from five to six was entirely based around Judge Doom. Um yeah, it's uh, yeah. Um, He's brilliant. Like it's uh, there's also just some really good chemistry for with him and and Bob Hoskins in this, and uh, man, it's it's such a feat because it it's it's everything, right? We have mixed media, we have um, it's satirical, but there's also this like screwball comedy piece of it, mm-hmm. and um like a god bless bob hoskins incredible in this but like being a villain in that world is almost even weirder like it's 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 really really incredible how um proportionate he feels in this world that is over the top but like a villain that acknowledges that he's over the top is the least scary thing in the world right so like he has to play um extremely scary and a literal Looney Tune of world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and to your point, like, I feel like a lot of 
people that haven't seen this, and I understand why, like credit SpongeBob as being the first like animated thing that really mm. spoke to parents and kids and were entertaining on both levels. And maybe in in like a a full cartoon mm-hmm. non-movie TV format. Uh, that mm. that's a little bit more true, but I, I don't know if there's anything before this that that did that right like that satisfied it on on such levels i I feel like this was a really precedent setting movie in that way space jam Um, could never you know no it couldn't (laughs) yeah no the 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 idea that they would try it in that way and it didn't it didn't have the magic um a lot of it is that um they they the reason that they got this is such a weird funny simple Hollywood ass reason why Disney and Warner Brothers um, both agreed to have their their animated characters in the thing, which was they were huge competitors. Steven Spielberg said he would not work with either of them if they said no. And they're like, well, that guy made all the Indiana Jones movies and a bunch of other stuff. And so Spielberg Spielberg played hardball and they they agreed to that. The screen time for the characters had to be evenly split between Disney and Warner Brothers. That they couldn't have like one of them have like a bigger part than the others or whatever. They 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 said that if if you're gonna have them in there, um, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny have to share a scene together. That was that was in the contract. Okay, there they, we have this really cool scene where Daffy and Donald Duck do a dueling pianos gag. And they 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 had representatives and lawyers from both sides in the room looking at the storyboards to make sure that one of them wasn't depicted as a better piano player than the other. That is a shoot thing that happened. That is that is why this is what I I I I love it. I love that that's that that's the thing that, that that all of that had to happen, or this movie as constructed couldn't there's also a bunch of a bunch of uh, characters animated characters from the time period they wanted in the film but couldn't get because their parent company said no because Spielberg was never going to work with them either but like Tom and Jerry they wanted to have parts in here all those types of that family of characters from the 40s that were much bigger in the 40s than they than they were in the 80s they said no um they got Betty Boop they got Betty Boop and the thing is if they, to me, also, if that parent company had said no, you can't have Betty Boop, then that scene changes dramatically, and that is the scene I think that like makes the whole movie work, which we're going to get to. But the scene in the Ink and Paint Club, if it's not exactly as it's done, I I don't know that the rest of the movie works as well. And so and so, thank God that they sat down and said Daffy and Donald have to be prepared as perfect equals because. I think that that whole thing sets up the, what it's like to live in a world, an alternate 1947 Hollywood where animated characters are real and, and interact with humans is you have to have this kind of experience. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, and it's such it's a, it's such a satisfying watch. Cause you, um, if you're a kid, you get to watch this dueling piano scene between two ducks. And if you're an adult, yeah. you kind of realize what's going on with that. Of like, we have two yeah. different cartoon worlds spilling into the same bucket. 
The yeah. screen time thing doesn't surprise me at all. And it, it is hysterical to me that they were like, well, we can't have one depicted as a better piano player than the other. Well, the idea that, okay, so my our company's champ is going to face your company's champ. We got to protect both of them. So it's going to be, it's going to be a draw, a double count out. Time limit um, draw. Yeah. Time limit draw. Cause, cause you can't, you can't have one guy go over the other guy. I got to make money off of my guy later. You know what this I mean? Is, like, no. This is animated forbidden door is what this it is. is. <laughs> Roger Rabbit, the first ever Tony Khan. Um, so I, um, I, I, um, anyway, the, um, the opening of this movie was really heavily praised. Um, it was, it's an animated short, um, that it starts out with, it shows you Roger Rabbit and baby Herman doing an animated short. Um, and it's, uh, incredibly, um, well, it's amazingly animated. It took nine months to animate this four minutes because it was done in a way that wasn't being done at the time. Um, they, they were pioneering a style of animation that was not yet 3D, but it was two and a half D, they called it. Um, so that they would like use lighting in a way that to shade the animated characters that was not being done before. If you watch movies, uh, animated movies, um, from the decades before this, um, you'll notice it just feel it really feels like you're watching a, a, a moving drawing as opposed to this, where you can really see the way that they're using lights and shade and all this kind of stuff. And they extend that not to just the world that they are inhabit with humans, but also in this entirely animated thing. Um, so the, the four minutes to start off this of Roger Rabbit, and you get the idea of who his stock character is, because so many of these animated shorts from the 40s uh, and 50s, they had a stock character thing. Like, Sylvester wants to eat Tweety, but Tweety always gets one over on him. All, all of these kind of things, like everything like that. So, in these stock little things, it's always, for some reason, Roger Rabbit's job to babysit Baby Herman, even though he always messes it up. But at the end of every episode, Everything's okay, and Baby Herman doesn't die, but Roger is beat up pretty bad. That is the way all of these go, and I know that because they produced three separate shorts of Roger Rabbit and Baby Herman that came out as, like, previews before other major, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Dick Tracy, and one other one I can't remember. All of these are available to watch on Disney Plus if you have Disney Plus. All these little separate shorts that they did of Roger Rabbit. Um, so. Um, at the end of it though, uh, the, the final big stunt is that, um, uh, <laughs> Roger is, um, hoisting a refrigerator from underneath over his head and baby Herman's on top of the refrigerator, having climbed up there to get a cookie and he hoists it all the way up his head and he locks his elbows like this. And then the baby falls and bounces on his on his belly and he reaches out and picks up the belly. Of course, that allows the, the refrigerator to fall from a height of about three feet onto his head. And then the door swings open and Roger Rabbit is in there um, and there are Tweety Birds going around his head. And then you hear, cut! Cut! And the, the director comes in. Director played by a famous producer at the time, Joel Silver. Um, he says... Uh, Roger, you're messing up your lines all the time. Look, it says in the script, rabbit gets clunked, rabbit sees stars, not birds, stars. 
Uh, and this is the beginning of all this thing where baby Herman is obviously he's got he's he's got this very um older uh, actual uh sounding voice because he's playing a part you understand um where he's like uh, uh what was what the hell was wrong with that take Raul I'm gonna be in my trailer taking a nap um and um so they 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 call lunch and um Roger is very very um uh, apologetic Raul I can get the take right watch um and he's hitting himself on the frying pan to show that he can make stars appear but he can't it's it's um it's tweeting birds it's bells it's those little squiggly lines he just can't he, he can't get his lines right uh and this is where we meet uh for the first time Eddie Valiant who's standing there watches this whole thing happen and goes tunes <laughs> and then he takes a, a swig from a little bottle of um of of alcohol of whiskey and then he he opens up his jacket to reveal his empty shoulder holster where he puts his little flask of whiskey um and i love that little um touch that this is a guy who still wears a shoulder holster but doesn't doesn't carry a piece he carries a bottle cuz he's he's a, he's a he's a hard bitten alcoholic guy but um this he 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 meets um uh rk maroon who um who runs this studio for animated stuff um uh and it says well hollywood 1947 i love that they like let us know like this is like like this is what happened back in the day uh it's a real thing um but the um we we find out that the reason that um uh roger abbott keeps blowing his lines they have to redo scene after scene which is putting this uh picture um well over uh, budget is because Roger Rabbit's wife is cheating on him. And, um, uh, and so um, they want to hire Eddie Valiant to spy on her to, to prove to Roger Rabbit that his wife is not this sweet um, little thing that he thinks, but he's actually stepping out on him and then maybe he'll divorce her and get his mind right. Um, and uh, they want to hire Eddie Valiant to do that, but uh, Eddie Valiant, he doesn't work Toontown. He's he he won't he won't do it. He's he's against tunes. Doesn't like tunes. Uh, a couple of lines in here that I adored was he goes, "You could drop anything out of Toons' head, but break his heart, and he folds like all of us." I was like, "Oh, mm-hmm. that was such yeah. like a sincere little thing." Yeah, um, and there was this cute pitter patter when he was like, "Have you ever?" seen a business like this and he goes no business like it that i know or whatever like a very yeah, yeah, no. Uh, no what do you know about like show it? business <laughs> only that there's no business like it, like it. no business, no business I, know. I know yeah that's uh, so good. And, and don't work Town was great they, yeah the, um it, it's incredible like how much they pop in it out of these different worlds of like uh the slapsticky comedy and uh, the satirical is a balance both of those at the same time. Worst films have tried and worst films have failed. We've seen it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um so <clears throat> uh he agrees to do it because he doesn't have to go to Toontown and because the guys he says, um uh, um lay me a price, a hundred bucks. A hundred bucks is uh quite a lot of money in nineteen forty seven. Uh more than you would pay a private eye to take some pictures. But Maroon agrees to it, which should be the first tip off to to Hoskins. I think it is to to Eddie Valiant that something mm, this is a setup. 
You know what I mean? Because you, you, you don't, you don't, you know, if I, if I quote you that price and you're willing to pay it, you can find somebody else who could do this job. What's up? Um, well, and the so, thing about elephants, Alex, is they work for peanuts. Right. Yeah. No, the, he, he sees yeah. Dumbo and um, there's the other yeah. thing is that, that, that the, um, the thing I love is, uh, is the, the incidental contact between humans and uh, cartoons in this game. Like a, a bunch of guys are trying to, out, uh, uh, Eddie Valiant um, uh, looks out a, um, a window and sees a bunch of guys, humans, trying to unload a truck, and they they drop a crate, and out pumps uh, out pops a giant cartoon oompa bound, and they're like, and and they're trying to like get them all collected and put them, but it's like herding cats. You can't you can't get them all into in back can't into the box. Them all. Yeah, no, and then and that's where we see uh, Dumbo and uh, RK Maroon says, you know why I love about elephants? They work for peanuts. <laughs> um, but he only pays him. He only writes him a check for fifty bucks, because, um, you know, let's uh, let's wait until you finish the job and you get the other fifty, right? Um, so uh, uh, Eddie, um, <laughs> Eddie takes um, uh, is gonna he wants he needs to take uh, um, the streetcar, the red car as they call it, um. Uh, to um, to back back to a different area of of L.A., uh, but he doesn't have any cash on him, and the uh, the conductor, I guess you would call it, of the streetcar won't accept a check, so he just skedaddles around to the back and jumps on on the back bumper with a bunch of kids and says, "Hey, Mister, ain't you got a car? What do we need a car for? We got the greatest transportation system in the world." Um, LA oh, public transport known for being oh, reliable and consistent and it sure as hell was at the time. Um they uh there's a um like this is this is a, a real life phenomenon that happened. It was also uh, uh explored in, in Chinatown, I think, uh, famously, though I haven't seen that movie as often as this one. Um but as I got older, I was like, wait a minute, is this is this right? I started looking up stuff about it every time I watched I would watch this movie. And yeah, there was a, actually living in in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. There was an extremely extensive streetcar um, uh, system in Milwaukee that led all the way out to the suburbs, um, dozens of miles in some direction, um, in some directions. And uh, this was uh, we had a neighbor, Bernice, when we lived in Milwaukee. Bernice was 98 years old, 98 years young, because she was still vi- a, a very uh, a, a lot of vitality. But when we talked about it, she said, "I used to, when I she grew up, with, she was living in the house she grew up in, and um, she said uh, that um, uh, I used to um, when I used to work downtown when I was in my 20s, I would walk to the end of the block and catch the streetcar, the streetcar, but we're like." T- 10 miles from downtown. It's like, oh yeah, no, it went far past here. And in certain areas where like the pavement breaks up, you can see where the old streetcar rails used to be. Um, and it was a, a whole thing. Like a lot, most cities had really extensive, very cheap um, and, and convenient and efficient streetcar lines. Uh, and they're not there now. So we'll talk about why they're not there now. When they actually use some historical stuff about it, 
um, in this movie. But anyway, so um, I love that he takes this thing with these kids and he hops off at his neighborhood and he says, uh, he's like, bye, mister. He's like, hey, so long. Thanks for the cigarettes. <laughs> he says to these eight-year-old kids. Um, but yeah, um, <clears throat> he um, he uh, um, he goes in to this um, this bar um and uh he sits down at the bar talks to a couple of the regulars there and then um he uh he talks to the woman behind the bar whose name is Dolores and we immediately understand that they used to be a thing they're not they're a little antagonistic now but like there's it's a complicated relationship yes. um and uh and so um he shows her the $50 I'm 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 gonna be able to pay you back all the money that I owe you, um, but I just need to borrow that camera of yours because I got a, I got a photo job I got to do, um, and so he so he shows her the fifty dollars like fifty bucks, where's the rest? So that's why he's actually asking for a hundred bucks because he owes Dolores a bunch of money, um, so uh, yeah, so she agrees to give him this um, uh, this uh, this camera. And so she goes to get it, and in walks a construction worker named Angelo, um, and uh, and he starts making razzing Eddie because Eddie apparently has a reputation for uh, for working uh, Toontown, does doing stuff, but he says he doesn't do Toontown. That's interesting, a little different. So he says he starts going off and off about him. Is like, uh, um, <clears throat> so uh, what what happened? What happened? Uh, somebody kidnap uh, Dinky Doodle? No, 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 I got it, I got it. Uh, Bo Peep, she lost a sheep. You're going to help her find him. <laughs> uh, great little performance by this guy. It was in only two scenes, but really steals the show. So good. Um, but uh, so uh, Hoskins like kicks his stool out from under him, which drops his jaw down on the bar. And um, he says, get this straight, meatball. I don't work for tunes. And he shoves a uh, hard-boiled egg in his, in his face. Um, He's like, what's his problem? Toon killed his brother, says Dolores. Drop the piano on his head. And it just everyone, everyone in the entire bar goes, Oh my god. Like it was like it's just like it's this, it is it's a horrifying way to die. It really but, is. But but in the context of like Toon killed his brother. It's so oh, good. Yeah, oh my god. Yeah. Um Anyway, um, um, so, uh, yeah, if I, yeah, if I be- believe, if I understand correctly, if I remember, um, yeah, he just goes straight from there to, um, to going to the Ink and Paint Club, which is where, um, Jessica Rabbit performs at a, it's only humans allowed in the audience, but an entirely tune review performance. So, um, so that's where he's going to go. Um, and he comes to the door and there's a, uh, a tune bouncer who is a giant gorilla wearing a, uh, <laughs> wearing a tuxedo and, um, <clears throat> and he's, and he opens the thing and he says, password. Um, uh, and he's Walt sent me, which is a great, a great little password for this particular thing. Um, and he goes in. And uh, he, he says to the giant gorilla, nice monkey suit. 
because of the because the tuxedo is also ah. it's often called a monkey suit. And ah. then the gorilla, the gorilla says, "Wise ass," and I'm like. <laughs> I, realizing all the stuff in this movie that I shouldn't, that I that I did not like, I wasn't I wasn't watching movies with swearing in it when I was eight. A lot of kids were, I wasn't, so I didn't I didn't know that that was you know a thing that 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 we would we were doing. Um, but boy, was I not prepared for the rest of the scene at eight. So he sits down um, and uh, across from a, a a guy Marvin Acme, who is the guy he's been hired to spy. Uh, with uh, with Jessica Rabbit, um, and uh, and he uh, talks to him about stuff. Marvin Acme introduces himself with a hand buzzer handshake, um, squirts him with uh, with ink all over his shirt, and is like, you, "You think that's funny? Oh, it's a panic!" I love he's so Marvin good. Acme, very very funny guy. Uh, he says, "You won't think it's funny when I stick that pen up your nose." Look, son, no hard feelings. Look, it's disappearing ink. Sorry. Um, and uh, and so um, this is where we watch the Donald Duck and Daffy Duck thing where they're dueling pianos. Um, and it and and they uh, I know this that Zemeckis and all of his team, his animating team, fought incredibly hard to get this version of Donald Duck, the the um, historically accurate from 1947 version because they wanted the um, the modern version. Warner Brothers did. They wanted the modern version of Daffy Duck, which started in the 50s, not in the the 40s. Look, Daffy Duck looked different. Go back and watch old Warner Brothers shorts. He looked different until sometime in the 50s he changed. They wanted it because they thought that this the the historically accurate time period Daffy Duck was more crudely drawn than the historically time period accurate Donald Duck, which had never changed since like the 30s or 40s. By that point, they had already switched over to making him what we know Donald Duck to be look like now, but they hadn't yet with Daffy Duck. So again, if your guy looks good, my guy's got to look good. They, they fought for it and they eventually agreed to allowing current... Warner Brothers animators to draw a, like a hybrid version of it that was then animated, you know? Um, so it looks a little different. But this is so funny to me that like that you look at it and you go, that's not what Daffy Duck looks like to me as a kid in 1980s because he had changed. But it was historically accurate for 1947. And I love that they fought so hard for it because that's yeah, kind of a cool detail. So cool. But they end up like going back and forth, punching each other, hitting each other with cleavers and at one point, I believe um, uh, Donald Duck uh, brings a cannon out of his baby grand piano to shoot uh, Daffy with, um, and they just they can't stop uh, fighting. I love this. Uh, 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 he says because Dot <laughs> Donald said yelling something at Daffy, and Daffy says, "Does anybody know what this duck is saying?" Um, <laughs> it's so hard working with somebody with a speech impediment. Um, it's yeah, it's so great. I love it. Um, and uh, and eventually the whole thing gets pulled away. Um, uh, the hooks bring both of them off stage, and Marvin Acme says, "Those ducks are funny. They never get to finish the act." And uh, here comes Betty Boop. Cigars, cigarettes, Eddie Valiant, and Eddie's like, "Betty, what are you doing here?" And she says, which is a really cool little hard circle detail. Life's been hard since cartoons went to color. 
but I still got it, Eddie. Boop, boop, be doop, boop. And, uh, and Eddie, it, there's this really cool little thing. Like you could tell that he, he and her like used to pal around a little bit. I love that they immediately had a history. Like that's what yeah. I, was, I was just checking my notes was like, he knew her. Like, yeah. and it, it felt like it the way he said that. Yeah. Like, and he says, uh, he says, I still got it. Eddie. And she goes, he goes, yeah, you, do. you still got it. It's a sweet little thing because also he he when she mentions cartoons going to color, like there's a thing that clicks in his brain of like, oh yeah, you're not long for this world. Dude. You know what I mean? Like it's a different thing because they never they never bothered making colorized Betty Boop cartoons. That it was she was a a, a an a, a, an icon of a bygone era. Like the flapper era was long past at this point, and so they've never made, managed updating her. Um, well, they uh, almost like I don't know if you felt this way, but it almost felt like she was just being replaced by Jessica Rabbit a little bit, like this kind, kind of, of like cartoon did, sex iconish type thing. But um, I, I did like that, and I also loved that. Apparently, no hard feelings with Betty Boop. No, that's just she, that's just the way it goes. Just the way it works. But um, uh, Marvin Acme going crazy, spraying himself all over the with with um with uh perfume, and um. Uh, he, uh, he, he says, what's with him? Oh, Mr. Acme never misses a night when Jessica performs. And, um, Bob, Bob Hoskins, uh, got a thing for rabbits, huh? Because of course, Jessica rabbit married to Roger rabbit. Roger's a rabbit. Of course, Jessica's a rabbit. No, she married Roger. Just took his last name. Um, cause she comes out and, uh, and it's also, uh, again, Kathleen Turner, uncredited. Again, somebody Robert Zemeckis worked with recently because she was the lead in Romancing the Stone. But she does the voice, uncredited. She never got a credit for it, um, which is interesting to me. Everyone else who does voices in the in the movie gets credits. Yeah. But she didn't, which is interesting. Um, uh, but also, they got Amy Irving, who was married to Steven Spielberg at the time, to do the song. So it's not Kathleen Turner singing it. Ah, um, okay. Uh, but it's it's an incredibly sexy song um, and uh, an incredibly provocative dance number. I don't know how to. It's like, she's it's like slinking all over the stage. Seduction. Yeah. Yeah. And and every human feeling almost yeah. every human male in the audience is ready to risk it all for for, for Jessica Rabbit. And at eight, I could understand. Um, uh, I'm watching like, oh, no, she's obviously incredibly attractive to all these men. Um, and I can see why, even though I don't know how to have words to explain it. I'm eight. But, um, uh, yeah, so she's she's playing along with these guys by like, um, uh, she's like, one guy tries to stand up to get closer to her on the stage. She just puts a hand on his face and stiff arms him back down. Um she uses a little towel to like rub um, Marvin Acme's bald head. Um, they have a male gaze built in here. Like yeah, there's they, a, an absolute, there's a, yep. it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Like it's an acted performance with animation. Like this is every trope that you see in scenes like this of her, like crawling across the table and grabbing someone with a tie. Mm-hmm. There's a part where it's just like her head's not mm-hmm. in the shot. It's just her enormous breasts and her extremely right. tiny waist. Drawn yeah. to the proportions of only late 80s yeah. and 90s animation would give us gals right. body yep. issues yeah. going forward. Yeah. Um, but it's 
It's incredibly well done. It's incredibly right. well done. And yeah. I love that Betty Boop is like the exposition for this. Yeah, she says, he says, in the middle of this thing, as she's seducing everyone at the front of the stage, um, Bob leans over to Betty Boop and goes, she's married to Roger Rabbit? Um, and uh, and she goes, yeah, what a lucky girl. And that's the end of Betty. We never it's see Betty again. So cute. But it's it, but also it show it like it's it 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 puts a dis- perspective because our re- response to it um is probably the same that Bob Hawks that Eddie Valiant has, but they show a different perspective right away that like among tunes, Roger Rabbit is a heartthrob. You know what I mean? So like that's that's a kind of a cool thing. Um but anyway, at the end of this deal, the last person that she seduces in her little number um, is is Eddie Valiant, where she crawls across, pulls pulls the by the tie, and yanks him up right to her face. So good. Um, and that I feel like is an down. iconic scene. Like that oh, that's yeah. like a thing Incredibly. that people remember from the movie. Is that how could yeah. you not? Like that 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 was also the first real connection that we got to see. Um, between a tune and a human, just the way it's yes. going back and forth. Um, but also, like the, the 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 song too is like, um, uh, "Why don't you do right like some other men do?" is a is a very like it's um get out of here and get me some money. It's it's a very like um like a like a you know it's, it's some it's some it's some really good um uh, uh dynamics that put on his head kind of thing. But it's very good from the night from that, from that time period. But so. Uh, Eddie Valiant will never be the same because, because uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, um, so he is going to um, he follows her, follows Acme to her dressing room, tries to peek through the peephole, but the gorilla finds him and uh, tosses him out on his ass into the. In, this is another one. Like the door is opens and there's Bob Hoskins dangling there in the arms. In, of a cartoon by by the, by his belt loop and his shirt and his shirt uh, cuff being held by by a cartoon, so he's dangling there. But obviously the the gorilla isn't holding him, but it sure looks like he is. He's just being held by a crane, and it's but but they they were able to like they animate the gorilla over all the stuff, so you don't have to like go in and post and like use a computer to take out the wires. You just animate the gorilla over the wires, which is actually really helps out because at the time trying to like do that, like go into actual film and like get rid of all the stuff was really hard to do because it was done with actual film as opposed to uh, computers. But the being able to do it with just the, the paint, it really works out. It's great. Um, it also kind of fits like the slapsticky style of things yeah, too. Like it's, yeah. you really do have to see how all this is executed. And th- this whole kind of, scene might be my favorite in the movie of like where we meet Jessica Rabbit and with with the different cartoon worlds emptying out yeah. here like it's it's pretty brilliantly done um so he's able to uh go around the side of the um the uh little building and look, look through a window take his uh old camera out of his pocket and take some pictures some dirty pictures of uh Marvin Acme and Jessica Rabbit playing patty cake and they were just actually playing patty cake um but uh but uh, but to but to but to tunes 
that's 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 as that's a that's that's, that's as salacious infla- as it that gets. That is in flagrante delecto. That is. That, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, you don't want to do that. So, so, um, um, there's a, the next scene is, is them, is him showing the developed pictures. Um, uh, to, <laughs> yes, so funny. to, to, um, to Roger in Maroon's office and Maroon, uh, Roger, not, not willing to believe it. Uh, but he's watching, he's looking at the pictures and he's flipping them. He's he's flipping them behind each other, like he's going through the picture like this, and he's putting them behind, and then so, but he's doing it so fast that it creates a little rudimentary film strip, like a flip book. It was very, yeah, very funny. It's so cute. Um, it is like, uh, you're not like come on, kid. You're not the, the the first guy whose wife played patty cake on him. Um, somebody must have made it do it. Um, I should mention here Charles Fleischer, who does the, does the voice of um, Roger Rabbit, insisted. On not just doing the voice, but being behind the camera, like off screen, so that the guys, so Hoskins and everybody else could look at him, and being in a full Roger Rabbit costume. Um, Bob Hoskins says this guy was incredibly talented, but he was a certified nut. Like, yeah, I believe do, it. He would do all of his lines in full, like Roger um, voice. So that we had something to play off of, which is good, but also he insisted on doing it like as a method actor. <laughs> so that was Charles Fleischer, um, who did that. Um, so, uh, like, I don't know if anybody's been like, in order to get really, in order to get into the mind of an animated rabbit who views playing patty cake is a uh, salacious mm-hmm. betrayal of right sure Whew. um so uh this is where we find out uh, an important uh, detail is that if you give roger rabbit whiskey he literally explodes into a giant train whistle and um shatters all the glass in the uh, vicinity um so uh <laughs> that's what happens Come on, kid. Here, drink this. It'll make you drink this. It'll make you feel better, <laughs> and he does. Uh, but you know, there's the old thing of the cartoon character that can't hold his liquor. Well, this is the ultimate version of that. Um, but he runs away, and we see him. Um, he's like, "I think I'll. Uh, you owe me that extra fifty bucks now." Like, yeah, no, here you go. Here's the extra fifty bucks. So then they they leave. Uh, Roger's very upset. Um, I'm. A, he says. He says. Uh, um, we're we're gonna. Um, uh, oh, he say he says, uh, um, oh, I'm sure you'll find another girl real quick. Like, oh yeah, uh, good-looking guy like this, Dames will be broke, breaking his door down. Dames, what dames? You'll see. Jessica's the only one for me. We're gonna be back together. Everyone, we're gonna be happy. Um, and then he runs away. Um, uh, so um, <clears throat> he's very sad. Um, um, but, um, we find out cause, cause what happens is, um, Eddie goes home and, uh, he sits in his desk, um, and he, um, he pours himself a drink. He looks at the other pictures developed from the camera. The pic- the camera has not been used in a very long time. So the film is, was a half roll was already been shot. And so he, when looking through these photos, he finds some photos of him and Dolores 
um, I guess on a beach in Mexico because they're wearing sombreros or whatever. Um, and they're so happy. Uh, and then... Um, you want to explain what film is to the kids? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I always forget. Um, were you... Were you uh, were, were any of you sentient enough to remember disposable cameras? Oh, Because like, cameras gosh, that actually had real school. foam, re- real film in them, that's different. But anyway, no, you had to you had to actually have film. Was the the pictures were taken on the pictures were taken on film. You see, and then you, you had to you had to you take them take them down to the Walgreens and you you give them to them. And this is now they could do them in an hour, but before then you had to send them away and they'd come back in two weeks. You were like, I I took all my pictures from my vacation and maybe I'll be able to see them by Christmas. Um. So, uh, yeah, it was yeah. Um. Uh. But anyway. The photos then of this little um, uh, this vacation uh, also show not just him and Dolores, but also another man with him. Um, uh, uh, Glasses. Um, He's obviously like a very joyful type of guy. Um, But they're playing like little ukuleles and and they're having a blast. Um, And um, it's it, you can tell it really affects him to see these photos. He's never seen this photo before. How could he? They were on this camera, never been developed. But then a beautiful little thing of exp- all the exposition you need is in this shot where the camera starts panning through the entire his office and the other half of the desk, which is the first time we've seen this, um, is there's Eddie Valiant and Teddy Valiant. And the entire other half of the desk is covered in dust. Um, glasses, a badge, gun, handcuffs. Um, and then they pan around all these photos of them. Um, uh, 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 two flatfoots and a floozy going into business, 1938. Um, and that was Dolores was, of course, the floozy. Um, and there's pictures of them. Um, there's all these newspaper clippings of how they, they got, um, goofy off on a trumped up charge and uh, found the, the case of the missing whatever, you know, all the stuff that they, they the, the Toontown newspaper touting these guys as heroes um, and uh, concerned to, to them graduating from the police academy together um, both, but in their graduation picture, they're both wearing clown noses um, and then it shows them, uh, it shows a, an old picture, 1908 um, uh uh, Ted, Eddie and Teddy on the road with dad and they're all in clown costumes, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. So that's how he got his start as a kid was doing circus stuff, which I love that they put that in, in the film is that's where he got his love of comedy and fun, crazy stuff. And now he's not that anymore. He's completely jaded by the world because a tune dropped a piano on his brother's head. Um, but it's a very sad little uh, scene, but it is... Um, incredibly what the so efficient the exposition that is given to us in this little scene zemeckis is a is a genius with the way that he he did that like it shows us everything we need to know so good it's all everything that they do has to be so sincere because of the chaos that it's operating in and this is a really good example of that like the end result is that this guy had a piano dropped on his head by a tune right right but like the there has to be an emotional appeal that makes you care about it rather than it mm-hmm. just being a joke and this right. is so well done yeah um 
he um, the next morning, um, the bottle of liquor that was full is now empty, and he is passed out on his desk. And um, a guy walks in. He says, um, um, and it's Lieutenant Santino of the, of the Hollywood Police Department, a guy who used to work with Eddie. Um, and he's like, what the hell are you doing here? Um, <clears throat> uh, um, come on, Eddie, if, if you needed money this bad, why didn't you come to me? Like, all I did was take a couple of dirty pictures. Don't, you know, don't kill me. Sorry. I already got one stiff on my hands. What are you talking about? Marvin Acme. I love, the, I love this phrase. The rabbit cacked him last night. I don't like, cacked him. I've never heard that before in my life. Um, but I love it. I love it as a phrase that like the guy got killed. He cacked it's him. It's cartoon for caps him. Um, I guess, but it, he, just, he didn't say cap. He said cacked. Um, um, cartoons do. It's great. Um, but anyway, um, they go to Marvin Acme thing where they where they where they he takes him there to the, where he's not supposed to be, honestly, because um, everyone's very upset that Eddie Valiant is there. But Lieutenant Santino doesn't care, um, and he uh, the, we see that a safe was dropped on Marvin Acme's head. Um, and is, is very dramatic in that way. Um, leave it to a safe to drop a safe. Leave it to Ugh. a tune to drop a safe on a guy's head. And then Eddie looks at him and is like, sorry, Eddie. Wait here. Um, and this is where we see a lot of other like crazy Acme things, in, like a, a, a portable hole. Like you just throw it up against a wall and it creates a hole you can put your hand into. Uh, um, uh, a... Um, um, a little uh, a mallet that shoots a, a boxing glove out of the end of it, um, and uh, they um, <laughs> the, the the old um, uh, oh, and this is Jessica Rabbit comes up to him, slaps him in the face. I hope you're proud of yourself and those pictures you took. Um, they can't find Roger. He 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 flew the coop. They can't find him. Um, and uh. So this is where we meet Judge Doom, um, which, li- listen, I'm a big fan of not naming your villains names that give away that they're the villain. But in this movie, I think it absolutely is, ne- is a necessity and it works. He carries around a sword cane and the tip of the sword cane is an iron skull. Like he's the bad guy. And and the funny thing is, is that in a lot of the um, original scripts, like there was a script where um, Jessica Rabbit was the bad guy. There was a script where Baby Herman was the bad guy. Um, there was a script where Roger Rabbit dies in the end. There were a lot of crazy drafts they had before they came came across this one. Um, but so they went out um, of their way to create a villain, basically. Right. Yeah. Um, they they and they created a, a fantastic one. Incidentally, there was at one point the it was a, a detail was in here that um, uh, that. Judge Doom was actually the hunter who killed Bambi's mom. And I feel like that is an entirely unnecessary piece of traumatic business you don't need to put in the script because enough of us were traumatized by that as youths. We don't need to yeah, revisit no, in this particular movie. Um, but uh, Christopher Lloyd, um, he's, he gets this incredibly uh, wide brim fedora, little um, um, darkened glasses. Um, but you can see his eyes through it, but barely. But the important thing is that Christopher Lloyd made sure that he never blinked when he was on screen. 
Like he was like, if I blink, we can't use that take. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try as hard as I can not to blink, um, because he wanted that to be this this that you he was all seeing and you couldn't get one past him kind of a thing. He's brilliant in this, so brilliant, and he's the exact right level of uh, creepy and scary without like uh, being outright too much. But I don't I if he's any less scary than this, it wouldn't work. Um, that's so interesting that that was a conscious choice because you see him wide-eyed a lot to the point where they give him cartoon eyes later. Yeah. Um, but that it was like, we can't use that take if I blink level of Kabitun is right. is pretty cool. Yeah, It's great. Um, but um, it's where he, he talks to Eddie Valiant about the whole thing and Eddie Valiant's very disrespectful of this guy. He's a judge. Um, and um, there, oh, there's... um. Uh, so, and somebody accidentally drops a box of animated shoes, squeaky shoes, and they're able to corral all of them except for one. Um, so as the judge who represents Toontown, because because human rights and the Bill of Rights do not extend to tunes, there's Correct. no such no one's guaranteed a speedy trial or or even a trial at all. Apparently, um, uh, I guess because there's a whole newspaper clipping where Goofy was wrongfully convicted of something. And then um, Eddie Valiant and Teddy Valiant found the evidence to get him out of jail. Um, uh, there's another one. We found out later that Yosemite Sam got um, uh, 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 got out of jail by, by from Eddie Valiant, helped him out of jail. So I think that the system of justice in Toontown did exist at one point, but once Judge Doom, as they say, bought the election... Um, and became the judge, he's be- become judge, jury, and executioner. Yeah, and we get a really sad example of it right here. Yeah. Um, he, he, there's, um, you know how the, we always thought there was no way to kill a tune? Well, Doom found the way. And there's a, a barrel of this horrible, noxious-looking stuff. And he says, um, what the hell is that? Uh, um, turpentine, acetone, benzene. He calls it the dip course all those things are for removing paint so of course if a tune is just a collection of paint um then that's the way you would remove Kill one a tune, yeah. um and he just just for the hell of it to prove he can he dips this little squeaky this very cute incredibly cute squeaky the toy cutest um into the squeaky thing shoe. until it, it is it is howling in agony is the best way I can describe a squeaky shoe. The, the sounds that he is making, it is howling in agony. And like Lieutenant Santino, who's probably seen some shit, he's a Hollywood detective in his late 40s, cannot watch. And and Bob Hoskins, Eddie Valiant, just goes, Jesus. Like as he's watching him execute, murder this fucking shoe. It says, um... Uh, and, uh, and Judge Doom says something like, you know, um, um, uh, the tunes must be brought to justice. You of old people, Mr. Valiant, I would think could appreciate that. Um, so that's how we're introduced to, to Judge Doom. In the sake of, of brevity, because we are going to uh, run up against a, a bit of a hard out here, um, I won't go through the entire film, um, but there's amazing stuff with these characters, the weasels. Who were supposed to be originally seven of them, with also, um, like uh, adjectives for names like sleazy, like the uh, like, uh, sh- yeah, like sleepy and bashful. Um, 
the 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 ones we actually get are smartass, who's the leader, sleazy, um, not sleazy, sorry, greasy, wheezy, um, crazy, and stupid, um, and they are all of those things. Um, wheezy is entire is is constantly smoking at least one cigarette, probably three or four. Um, uh, crazy is in a straitjacket. Uh, stupid is stupid. Um, and uh, unfortunately, because it's nineteen eighties. And set in the 1940s. Greasy is Mexican. So I um, feel like he didn't need to do that. But anyway, um, he's a he's a fun little character. I just don't know why he's got to be Mexican and named Greasy. Anyway, um, but Smartass is played by the great David Lander, who was Squiggy on Lenny's uh, 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 in the Laverne and Shirley and has done lots and lots of great um, voices in, in things. But he's so great as the lead weasel here. Um, but they're like Judge Doom's hand-picked troops that go after him. We only have five. The, the other two, there was Sleazy and one of the one that were cut from the film. Um, but there's an amazing scene where they go and they they interrogate Bob Hoskins in Bob Hoskins' uh, office. And Smartass, the lead weasel, is carrying an actual revolver. Um, but it's just on a string. They're like using a marionette to like make it move throughout the whole thing. And they would animate around the gun to make it look like the weasel's holding it. And there's um, the way that, long story short, um, Roger Rabbit and uh, Bob Hoskins are handcuffed together at the wrist. And they've got to hide Roger Rabbit because he's on the run from these bad guys. So the way he does it is by um, uh, doing his laundry in his sink by holding that one hand that's handcuffed Roger underneath the water. uh, I, I guess, uh, uh, you know, I think tunes can hold their breath longer longer than humans, but not indefinitely. Uh, so he keeps having to, like, push him back under the water. But there's this great moment where um, uh, <laughs> Smartass, the lead weasel, comes over and like, all right, Valiant, um, we, you better hope we don't find the rabbit or we'll hang you and your laundry out to dry. And he goes, he splashes with one of his little, his, um, his animated hands splashes some water onto Valiant. And I, I don't know, did they like throw something in there? Did they use a paddle that was then animated over? But like he splashes real water on, onto Bob Hoskins with his animated little paw. And it's like stuff like that, that is like the little incidental stuff, like the big stuff of, um, when Bob Hoskins has a fight with a cartoon, you know what I mean? That's one thing you can, you can do. You, I understand that, but the little things of how do you make the, um, that stuff go like, that's really, really, um, ec- excellent, uh, movie magic artistry that like shows exactly what they were working with here. And it's also like, it's incredible to me that how, how you, get timing right mm-hmm. with actors and uh, animated things is incredible to me. Like there's so yeah. many things in this that if you're doing a comedic gag or you're building a dramatic, intense moment, like timing's incredibly important. And I feel yeah. like that's a lot of the burden share of what Bob Hoskins does really well in this, but to like do that across a cartoon and an actor mm-hmm. is yeah. just wild. And even, um, like the scene that we get with Jessica Rabbit explaining um, that she was coerced into playing Patty Cake. 
uh, like <coughs> you have Bob Hoskins pants falling down here. Like mm-hmm. there are so many interactions that you're obviously aware is cartoon versus human, but they make it so seamless. Uh, and to consider that they were doing that in the late eighties is, is mind blowing because the animation technology has, was so different than it mm. is now. Uh, really, really, really incredible. Really incredible. Because Jessica Rabbit only wears one outfit in the entire film, and that's you know to be expected. It's that kind of movie. Um, but um, uh, it's all it's a sequin dress, and they have to like specifically light the sequins individually to make it look like they're real. They're not that they're sparkling with light. It's kind of amazing. Um, uh, the other things I wanted to talk, to talk about were um, the scene where Eddie Valiant tells us what happened to his brother. And how at eight, I never could have known because I wasn't, I was eight and I didn't, I didn't understand things. But at at a certain age, when I watched it, I was like, oh, of course, you know, kind of a thing of, of the way he describes it. Oh, so we were working to, we used to love working Toontown, me and Eddie. And this, uh, this one guy robbed the first bank of Toontown, got away with a zillion Somalians. Uh, We tracked him down to the wharf. um, And, uh, but he, uh, we went into this thing, but. He uh, got the drop on us, literally. Drop, dropped a, a piano on us from 15 stories. Broke my arm. Teddy never made it. Um, but I'll never forget the way the way he looked standing over me with those blood red eyes and that high squeaky voice. Um, and the way he's describing it could not possibly be Judge Doom. But he can only be describing Judge Doom if you understand the way stories work in movies. That 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 you can't be revealing this character to us unless he, this person is presented to us by the end of, of the movie. Um, and the only person it possibly could be, uh, unless it's like baby Herman is a shapeshifter. The only person it possibly could be is judge doom somehow in a mask. So I love that. Um, young me, uh, was, was too young to, to, to properly understand what Jessica Rabbit was doing to him, but also young me was too was young enough that he wouldn't have had the ending of the film spoiled by this little scene between uh, Bob Hawks, Bob Hoskins uh, and uh, Roger Rabbit. Um, they that was do fun. a good job, especially if you're a kid, of making it a murder mystery. Like yeah. that, there is um, you're in the boat with them for the ride of them trying to figure out who it is, even right. though you you know who it is. Like you're. Yeah you're in the same vehicle of them of trying to rule out suspects and figure out what happened and, and how, yeah. how deep the uh, setup goes and stuff. It's, it's a right. really, really, really well done uh, and developed story in that way. Um, at, at one point, um, Roger um, has, uh, has um, uh, they, well, so Maroon is killed by somebody when, when, um, Valiant goes to confront him because there's this um, conspiracy about, so they, somebody bought the red car. They bought a bunch of land. There's a big real estate thing. Maroon is involved. Acme was involved. There's a will that's missing that Acme, they're trying to find the will because the will was going to leave Toontown to the tunes because Marvin Acme owned Toontown. Um, but if, if it's not, if nobody can find the will, then, uh, then the, um, um, then the, Basically, Toontown becomes goes to the highest bidder whoever wants to buy it, and that company is called Cloverleaf, who also bought the red car. Uh, all of this kind of stuff, but it all come back to R.K. Maroon. So he goes to find R.K. Maroon, confronts him, but he gets shot by somebody else while he's um, 
while Eddie Valiant is torturing him because it's the 1940s and cops are cops. But um, um, they go into Toontown to like chase Doom and uh, Jessica uh, Jessica Rabbit and and Roger Rabbit is there. And Toontown is an absolute marvel. Like just all of this craziness, the entirely an entire town that's animated as things. But they put for they go from putting animated characters into the real world to putting one real character into an entirely animated world, and uh, it's seamless and brilliant and wonderful. Um, and the thing I will always remember for it is uh, this little guy right here, uh, Drippy Dog, um, who's the elevator operator. Um, because he's got to go upstairs to see if he can find Jessica Rabbit. Uh, so he's just going up here. <laughs> Mind the steps, sir. Uh, hold on, sir. Your floor, sir. Have a good day, sir. I love Droopy Dog. I love his whole thing. He's great. Um, but I love that they got a little part for him in this too. Um, he goes up to, the, to this to this top floor. Uh, he thinks he's going to open the door and find Jessica Rabbit because he saw her silhouette through a through a window. Um, but then he uh, he uh, opens a door uh, and finds that it's uh, an ugly lady who chases him out another door out the side of the building because there's just air there. And he falls for a very long time. And there are skydiving with him is Mickey Mouse and uh, Bugs Bunny. And you get the it's so funny how different the two signature characters of Disney and Warner Brothers were uh, at the time because B- Bugs Bunny is an absolute smart ass and Mickey could not possibly try and be more helpful. It's like, oh, poor fella. Uh, we don't have an extra parachute. Do you, Bugs? Yeah, I, I got a spear, but I don't think you want it. Yeah, I do. I do. Give it to me. Okay. Don't say I didn't warn you. And he and he pulls the ripcord and the spare that pops out is a spare tire. Um, uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, poor fella. And uh, he says, uh, yeah, ain't I a stinker? And that's, it's, it's perfectly encapsulates who those two characters are. That one tiny little scene that is exactly divided uh, perfectly between the two of them as per the contract. Um, they, they're able to um, find out it's Judge Doom that is, that is doing all of this. So they got to go confront him back in the real world, him and Jessica Rabbit. There's all this stuff that goes on, but um Eventually, when they when they realize that they've that Roger um, and um, and Eddie using Benny the cab, I believe, are going to go Roger and Benny the cab are going to go and try and rescue uh, Bob Hoskins and Jessica Rabbit being kept held captive by Judge Doom, who reveals his giant plan. That he is going to wipe Toontown off the face of the earth using a giant tank full of the dip. through a pressurized water cannon, 5,000 gallons of perfect of dip. He's going to do all this stuff. Um, it does feel very final solution esque. Um, uh, and that is what Zemeckis wanted it to feel like, like, like basically doom was the tunes Hitler, which is really creepy. Um, but the reason he's doing it is all for money, which is what it's, it's so perfectly American. Um, sure. it's just, but though he's like, um, I bought the red car so I can dismantle it. We're going to have um, uh, eight lanes of shimmering pavement stretching from here to Pasadena. Um, and uh, and everyone's going to be driving these things. So we don't need the red car anymore. And uh, and to, to prove that they're not going to need the red car anymore, I'm going to dismantle it. 
and nobody can use it anymore. So they're going to have to use my freeway. Um, and it says, um, you like, I don't understand. Of course not. You lack vision. I see a place where people get all. I don't know if that was Alex that froze or me. Let me know in the chat if Alex froze or if I did. I think it might be Alex. What happened? We're at the end. Oh, no. Okay, so it is. I was just assuming that it was my terrible internet. <laughs> oh, no. We'll let him get resituated and take us home. I feel like we should have made Alex do more voices to the point of everybody that's on here, but I appreciate it. This movie's incredible. Alex was getting to the end, but um, Christopher Lloyd. Are back now? There he is. Oh, God, thank God. Thank God. Okay. There was he a- left us with such a cliffhanger. We were just getting to the end. Oh, true. But he says he's, he does the thing with, with the, he, he envisions an exit ramp. On a freeway, thing <laughs> in the world, we will have uh, inexpensive motels, restaurants that serve rapidly prepared food, tire salons, automobile dealerships, and wonderful, wonderful billboards stretching as far as the eye can see. My God, <laughs> it will be beautiful. It is. It is the best possible rendition of how evil an exit ramp can possibly be. It's oh, amazing. it's wonderful. And this is true that that um that the automobile companies, oil companies and tire companies all banded together and had an an illegal uh what is it called? collusion to put public transportation out of business in the biggest markets in the country, especially Los Angeles which is why Los Angeles is the way it is now with like crazy. And the funny thing is the craziest thing, the craziest thing is um, the craziest thing is that he says um, uh, traffic jams will be a thing of the past, which if you've ever been to Los Angeles, you know, it's fucking wrong as hell because that is not the way it works at all. Um, It's uh, it's great. Um, And it is uh, a wonderful little, uh, uh, James Bond villain plan oh, that so involves um, transit, <laughs> just transit and money to be made off of it. But um, uh, at one point there is a um, um, he fights. Um, oh no, wait, there's uh, oh a, a, a thing of ping pong balls gets um, yes. gets locked over and he slips and falls and he and he gets up holding a hand over his eye. We don't really know why he didn't hit his eye when he fell down. That was weird. Um, um, all right. So uh, let him watch his friends get dipped and then shoot him, he says. And so this is the thing you can find out that the other way to kill a tune is to make them laugh so much that they die. Um, so they're, um, uh, uh, he does by doing this crazy rendition of this big dance number using all of the stuff he learned when he was a kid in the circus juggling uh like tumbling all this kind of stuff pratfalls and one by one he makes all of the weasels laugh so much that they die um and so he can try and stop 
the dip thing from killing not only um, uh, Roger and uh, Jessica Rabbit, but also breaking through a wall and on the other side of the wall is Toontown. Um, but then he has to have a fight with Judge Doom where uh, he realizes that Judge Doom is is uh, um, a cartoon because um, the only thing he takes he takes off of his crazy costume because he gets run over by a steamroller, by the way. They run over Christopher Lloyd with a steamroller and he's got this crazy um, uh, high squeaky voice as he's being run over by a steamroller. Um, but he also, he gets up and he's all flopping around. And he goes and inhales some helium to get very, uh, to get blown back up again. Um, but uh, he has these red eyes and a very high squeaky voice. So we know he's the guy who killed. Remember me, Eddie, when I killed your brother, I look just, and I can't do as, as high as he squeals, but I look just like this. Um, and so Eddie has a little bit of PTSD. Um, and, uh, but he's, um uh, has enough wherewithal to lunge for the mallet that that shoots out a boxing glove and hits a little valve on the giant tank of dip which squirts out right into doom's face and murders him doom um i'm melting i'm melting and he just melts into the thing and we find out that every i really wonder what it would have looked like if he had taken off the rubber mask cuz he was wearing a rubber mask so we only animated part of him we ever saw was the uh, the eyes through the mask. But I wonder what it would have looked like if they had actually looked. But we never got a chance to see him. Um, and they say, man, I wonder wh- who he really was, say all these um, tunes when they come in to see what happened. Um, but it's all right. Everything's, everything works out okay. Um, the scene of the dip being washed away and Toontown just opening up on the other side of like, you're seeing all of the dip get down the the sewer grates is so 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 well done. It feels very much like the happy mm-hmm. ending scene of a saved mm-hmm. town. Um, yeah. So brilliant. The fight scenes in it are so fun. Bob Hoskins just pulling out a musical number is incredible. Like yeah, the the organized chaos at the end of this is fantastic. Yeah. And in true wrestling heel stable fashion all of the the henchmen of the weasels get eliminated yeah. one by one yep and uh um downfalls like are there's villain. there's there's the moment where they uh where they're searching them for the will which they find out by the way it, it looks like it's invisible but it's actually disappearing disappearing reappearing though. ink which is the thing that we find out because the stain on his shirt comes back but also there's this scene where they're frisking him looking for the will and greasy the Mexican one says, I'll handle this one and uh, decides to stick his hand down um, uh, Jessica Rabbit's uh, dress um, and uh, comes up with a bear trap around his hand. And then uh, <laughs> Bob Hoskins says to her, nice booby trap. <laughs> and that is that is the, the scene that depicted in our thumbnail, the go. nice booby trap line. But it does look like I am saying nice boobies. To, it does. To, it doesn't say nice boobies. It doesn't look like I'm saying nice booby trap. It looks like I'm saying nice boobies. And I, I don't feel like I, I feel like I've been misrepresented by this particular thing. There. It also doesn't um, necessarily look like your face. No. Um, kind of funny. We should have put the boobies and, on you. Yeah. Um, there are lots of things that I haven't been able to a chance to, to really delve into. Benny the cabbie being a fantastic one where the cab is actually the cab itself. The cabbie yes. is the cab and the cab is the cabbie. Uh, it's a great character. I can't really delve into it. Um, the the animated gun 
given to him by Lucetti Sam, where each of the bullets has its own character. Like that's yes. a really cool touch. There's so many great things in this movie. Um, it it did come out 35 years ago. There's a very good chance that some of our younger viewers may have never seen it. It absolutely holds up because it is timeless because it was made in the 80s, but it is set in a time period that 80s knew very much about. It's not like it's like, oh, in the near future, and the near future is 1996. Like, right. And they, so they mess everything up. This is great. Like, if, it, if this is absolutely almost more than anything else that I, I can I can say about if you've never seen it watch it this weekend like it's that yeah. kind of a movie um and if you saw it as a kid like go back and watch it as an adult I would say too because like it's there's so many you'll just have a completely different appreciation for how um high level everything is in this yeah. whereas a kid I think you were like oh my gosh it's Daffy and Donald play the piano or whatever. Like it's mm-hmm. it's really really great. For example, I never put together like the last name of Rabbit, and they mm-hmm. were probably doing things that are metaphorically a rabbit. You know, like yeah. Yeah. what rabbits do. Right. Uh-huh. Like it's exactly. a lot of. Uh, I didn't put that together until an adult watched like an idiot. Um, so yeah. go back and watch because if if your last memories of this are over a decade ago, I would say go give it another watch because it's just brilliant. Yeah, um, it's 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 uh, one of the absolute best um, films, um, and it went over budget to fifty million, but that didn't matter because it 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 made more money than any animated film. Uh, had in years and years and years, and actually, people credit this with the beginning of the Disney Renaissance. Um, Makes sense. So, so like, it, it's very possible. Had this movie not been made, we would never have gotten all the other Disney movies that got made in the late '80s and '90s, leading up to now. Like that, their studio was in big trouble, and this movie revitalized it. So, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King. My all entire childhood. Things, yep. All those Disney movies that came out in the 80s and 90s would not have been made had this not been as big as it was. So it is kind of a, a seminal film in a lot of different ways. So yeah, we're keeping it in. Just I don't know if you oh guys were, keeping it the if most. If you were then. waiting around to hear the verdict, in here, here is here is here is it. In it's in it. We're in. Okay, good. Next week, probably we'll probably review something terrible. Probably. And then we'll tell you whether or not we're going to get the flick out of here. Bye, everybody. Have a good weekend. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.